Welcome to Brothers Red, the unique LFC fan podcast brought to you by Five Brothers. Liverpool have been knocked out of the Champions League by Spanish giants Real Madrid at the quarter-final stage after a frustrating goalless second leg at an empty Anfield, ending our dreams of European glory for this season at least. To discuss the match and the Reds more generally, I'm delighted to say that we've been joined by a special guest. It's none other than the Liverpool Echo Liverpool correspondent and all-round top guy, Mr Paul Gorst. Paul, welcome to the show. It's an absolute pleasure to have you. Hello, lads. Hi, Paul. Hi, Paul. <laughs> just before we talk about the match, Paul, what's it like in Anfield at the moment? Is it is it just weird? Yeah, I've kind of, kind of gotten used to it, but... Didn't want to get used to it, but after a well, coming up to a year now, isn't it? In June, mm. um, you do sadly get used to it. And um, I think last night was probably the, the, the worst one of the lot. I, I always remember the the Michelin game in the Champions League, which was the first Champions League game since the Atletico Madrid game. Um, and normally, Champions League nights doesn't matter who they're playing, it's, they're always big, aren't they? And they're always, they're always yeah. great events. And this one just felt really sad, you know. It was, <laughs> Drab game against the team, no one really knew many of the players, and I think it was a fairly comfortable 2 0 win. And it was just all of it, it's just really what it's come to. But I thought last night was, was probably even worse just because of how big it would have been had there been yeah. fans in there. I, 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 I thought Liverpool would have won that if they'd have had fans in there last night, um, particularly the way they started. Because um, I thought they flew out the traps, and, and if there's fans in there to to help them when they start like that, I'd imagine they'd have gone on to win it. But that's uh, sadly the way it is at the moment. Well, are we gonna are we gonna null and void this season? Then have we got time to to campaign for a full across the board? You know, given the shite we had to put up with last season. I, I think they've got it. I mean, you know, they've got to look <laughs> on the integrity of the league and, and null and void. <laughs> yeah, uh, Paul. Just going on going on to the match. I mean, we all thought that it was absolutely key to get that first goal. And I think Jürgen was saying that in the press conference afterwards. If we'd have got the first goal, maybe it would have been a completely different game. Yeah, I think so. I, I think the early chance with Salah when, when Courtois makes the save with his, with his feet. If you've heard a bit of rustling in the background, by the way, it's just me dog. Um, yeah, I think if Salah scores that early chance, I, I fancy Liverpool to go on and win that, to be honest. I don't think Real Madrid caused too many problems, did they? There was no. the weird incident where they had the post. And then Vinicius at the end, which uh, Alisson did really well for him, to be fair. But other than that, they didn't do a whole lot. To be fair, they didn't need to, did they? Um, but I just felt that Liverpool had them teetering a bit at times, particularly in the first half. And, and if Wijnaldum scores that one, which he, he should do, then it's a completely different game. But sadly, wasn't to be. And, and Liverpool, again, have failed to score at Anfield and, and failed to win. And it's a shame because it's, it's probably, given the standard of the opposition, I think it's probably the best they've played at Anfield for months, certainly in 2021. And um, it's kind of a bit of a weak, meek way to go out of the Champions League, really, which which was a, a shame. Paul, what I, what I noticed about last night's performance is there was that return in snippets to the old Liverpool. There was that aggression and that pressing mentality. And I think over the last couple of weeks and months, that's been absent. But last night, it just felt like to me that with Milner being in the, in the team, there was that bit more of aggression, that that hunger to get the ball back, which was really welcome for me to see. Albeit, I think the headline from for me for the game was just that we just didn't finish our chances. Yeah, I think so. I think I think playing Milner was a, 
was a good decision. I mean, I, I was calling for it before the game, and um, a few people kind of said, "Well, what about what about Keita? What about Thiago?" And and particularly with Thiago, I can see the merits for that. But I just think that he Liverpool lacked a leader in the Madrid. They got absolutely schooled. They got out out yeah. and kind of taken to the to the woodshed by Madrid in the first leg. And Liverpool needed someone to kind of you know, show them show them the way to go in, in the second leg. And, and two minutes in, he puts in that tackle on Benzema and you think, yeah, you know, he, he's up for this tonight. And, and I thought it was excellent. He, you know, he's done that before in big Champions League games. And I remember one on, on Neymar. And, and it's it's not a case of always in the team because he can go around and, and kick a few of their lads. He's, he's just got a, a bit of nous, a bit of experience, yeah. a bit of a grit to him that a lot of the Bill squad doesn't. You know, for all the good things that, that they've got, the Liverpool squad, a little bit of... You know, a collection of choir boys, I think, at times. <laughs> uh, was certainly someone who isn't. And um, I thought he was excellent. He nearly scored a, a 25 yarder, and he was another great save from the curl, yeah. I wouldn't be starting him every game. I think there's certain, you know, horses, of course, his approach with James Nunn, but last night was certainly that I called to play him. And, uh, you know, I thought he had a, a very good game, to be fair. Was that Nat Phillips as well, Paul? He was like a wrecking ball, wasn't he, at times, just knocking over? all the Madrid players and I just thought that combination of having Nat Phillips in the team and also Milner it just gave us a bit of steel like I wanted in the first like the Liverpool to get stuck in on that mid uh, Madrid midfield I wanted them to really go and put them under pressure and it just didn't happen the first game but just seeing the Liverpool players knock the Madrid players around in the second leg it just seems to me that you know, had we done that in the first leg it may have been slightly different Definitely, I, I think I think the fact that Klopp brought off Navigator before I have time yeah. spoke volumes. To be honest, I mean, I think I think Klopp said after the game that it was a mistake by him to do that. But the fact that he did that probably told you that he knew that the, that this lad wasn't pulling his weight by any stretch. I mean, he's, he's kind of put him in the fire line, hasn't he? By taking him off two minutes before half time, that's like a red flag to say, "Look, you're being good enough here." So yeah. It's, it's quite damning, isn't it, really? Exactly, yeah. I mean, he, he could have easily have, have given him 10 minutes into the second half and then brought him off or taken him off at half time. And it would have been the easiest thing in the world, given it was catered to say, oh, well, he's, he's, he's felt something there, he's had a bit of a twinge, whatever. And no, no one would bat an eyelid because that's catered to a tee. But the fact that he brought him off before half time and then said after the game, it's the tactical reasons, was a massive kind of indictment on catering. Might have been a lot different had he started Thiago in the first leg, giving them a chance to keep the ball a lot better, and or maybe Milner, as we say, with that kind of grit and, and determination that he definitely showed last night. He's only ever done that once, hasn't he? I think, and that was that was Lovren, and he had a shock of that game. It was against um, Spurs. Top members, yeah, yeah, yeah. Going back a few years, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. But I think in the first leg, what was missing as well was just yeah, in terms of the pressing. Um, and it's just a couple of tactical things. We just let them have too much space. And what I noticed yesterday is Winnie was just man-marking man Cruz. And then every time the fullbacks got the ball, the midfielders would peg it. So Milner, how many times did he close that fullback down before he had a chance to take it under control? Just to give them no time at all. Because in the first leg, they had so much space. Um, one, to just knock the ball around. And two, on the wings, there was loads of two-on-ones. So I think they tried to cut that out with by bringing the midfielders over. Yeah, they, they did. I, I thought um, thought Freddie Freddie Valverde had a, a bit of a torrid time in the first half actually, yeah. but he's a midfielder. 
by, by trade playing right back and Real Madrid were obviously without Carvajal and then um, um, it, was, it was the guy playing the first leg he was out as well wasn't he Vasquez um, Vasquez yeah yeah that's it so he was like their choice right back and Liverpool targeted him and, and in particular Mane in the first half got loads of joy down there and it was a shame they couldn't really keep it up because you know I, I thought they were getting plenty of joy there and, and, and as you say he just didn't settle at all, did he? But um, it wasn't to be Liverpool. Just couldn't sustain that kind of pressure that people put on them for the first half. I think he kind of ran out of legs a little bit. Paul, just talking about Klopp for a moment. I mean, we obviously hold him in very high regard. I mean, it's easy to forget what a wonderful few years we've had. But do you criticise him a little for the way he sets up in both games, or do you think he do you think he sort of gets it right? last night at least tactically and in terms of selection for the first game yeah I, I would I thought Liverpool were they were shocking they, they, they just couldn't keep, yeah. keep the ball I mean there was a period in the second half in, in the first leg when Real Madrid must have put easily a couple of dozen passes together and then Liverpool went yeah. back and Fabinho hammers it up Ryan Alvin's heel and Liverpool lose it within the first pass so they just saw one like Liverpool and, and I think the fact that Keita came off before that time was a a neon sign to say that he knew himself. He, he hadn't got it right. And but um, for all the critics for Firmino this season, and, and I, I've been one myself, thought he might have been better suited to that first leg when Liverpool just couldn't get all of it up top and couldn't make it stick, couldn't keep it at all because it's just coming back. And because Jota obviously is not quite the same. No kind of. Um, I mean, I'm not saying um, Firmino's some great big target man, but any stretch but mm-hmm. it certainly helped Liverpool keep it a lot better in the, in the first leg so he, he made, made a few mistakes in Madrid definitely but I, th- I just thought last night was a case of Liverpool not not taking the chances and then he ran out of steam because he didn't have the fans in there to, to push them for the final 20 minutes and um, it's been a long old season with plenty of injuries and, and they just ran out of energy Yeah, yes. I reckon uh, I reckon we ran out of steam as well when we made the substitutions as well last night, it just seemed to upset just seems to upset the balance of things, really, because you got Milner off, did me first after, after 60, and then after them, after that, then Madrid came more and more into the game. We're, we're counter-attacking, uh, we're retaining the ball much, much better, and I think we just lost our way. Um, and and he said there was an element of kind of running, running out of steam, and, and obviously with the crowd there, was the crowd not being there as well, you know. Yeah, I, I mean, I think if you look at the injuries, um, I know it's kind of the hot topic of the season, but it's just meant that more more players haven't been as rested as much. Yeah. So they, you know, particularly with the schedule that they've had, loads of players have probably run on empty. You know, Sadio Mane is the perfect example. I think um, he hasn't been at it for, for quite a while, and I just think it, it, it all has a snowball effect. You know, there's no fans in there to drag them over the line to to, to be the wind behind on the backs, and it's just a um, a combination of so many things as to why they. Like they haven't performed anywhere near as, as well as we know they can. And, and uh, last night, as well as they played, I, I do feel that they, they kind of ran, ran out of steam, in, particularly in the last 15 to 20 minutes. And Paul, one of, the, one of the things that we've been chatting about on uh, Brothers Red in the last few weeks and probably months is about um, how we should have reacted to this unprecedented defensive crisis. And in a sense, the the first leg against Real Madrid was probably a, a good way of illustrating this in the sense that we all thought it might be good for him to play a sort of Rafa Benitez-style European away performance, whereby maybe we start Thiago, 
maybe we start with Bobby and we actually just try to keep it tight. We try to nick an away goal and not concede. And it's almost as if Klopp um, has been a bit bloody-minded. I mean, he, he may not have a lot of options, actually, but he's tried to play the 4-3-3, the sort of full-power, uh, heavy-metal style, when bits and pieces have been falling off all the time. Um, and I just get the sense that, particularly in some of the Premier League games as well, because we've actually been good in Europe, that if we'd have just played maybe a 4-4-2, given ourselves a bit more control, we might have been in a position to eke out better results. But I think almost our strength in the last two seasons in playing that way this season has actually been our weakness because we've made ourselves, I think, or we've discussed this, easier to beat. I don't know what you think about that. Yeah, I, I think there's definitely a case for that, actually. I mean, considering Liverpool have had to play 20 different centre-back partnerships, <laughs> you know, <laughs> Henderson and Fabinho at one point and, and Reese williams and, and Fabinho and whoever it, who it is, yeah. Liverpool haven't adjusted their style of play for that at all. They haven't factored it in. They've just continued to push right up with the full-backs, you know, get them bombing on as, as often and as quickly as they can. They've actually tried to, tried to carry on us, though, with Joe Gomez and Virgil van Dijk in the team and and that has at times been been their undoing. Um, no, no question. If you look at how Liverpool play when they've got a full strength team, they, they squeeze the pitch, don't they? They condense it. The defenders are on the halfway line. The fullbacks are, are wingers. The three up front are, are three centre forwards. And Liverpool basically play in one half. The midfielders steam about in the half and, and press and win the ball back. And if you look at so many of the goals that Liverpool score, it is because of, of that system. But Klopp has kind of hasn't really, or maybe he was too slow to kind of um, adapt to that when the injuries have, have been coming. You know, playing midfielders at the back, okay, that might help you keep the ball a little bit better because everyone can play, but it's, um, you know, leaving them exposed has, has been a real, you know, reasons for defeats against the likes of Burnley and Brighton and, you know, Fulham to an extent. I know we made loads of changes in that game, but at no point has there been... Uh, any kind of um, change in style, and, and that has, has no doubt contributed to, to certain defeats this season, definitely. I think that's a key point, that actually, Paul, is that we reacted too slow, Klopp did, in terms of making the changes, adjusting to the side that we had available. Because, as you rightly said, you know, the fullbacks were almost like pushing up like wingers. Yeah, but the other. When you've got Van Dyke, who's just world class, sweeping up, mopping up everything, and you've got Henderson with Fab, there's so much support defensively that as one aspect, the, the two wing-backs can just push forward and just allow Liverpool to play. And it just felt for me, and I know we've, we've echoed this many times on the pod, is that Klopp just didn't change things quick enough. It was like we were all crying out for, for two centre-halves to actually play in their centre-half positions. So, so Fab could be left in the midfield, as we know. As soon as... Fabino went into midfield, and it just it made such a big, big difference, didn't it? it made a massive but difference. His options though were completely restricted by injuries. So I just don't, I don't know. I know James, you've said this before that you thought that Klopp ought to have changed it around, but I just don't know whether there was that many options available to him. Like, what do you do? Do you, do you do a four-four-two to mix it up? But you have to remember, most of the players are used to the Klopp blueprint of 4-3-3. So I'm just not sure that that 
criticism is legitimate because I don't know whether he has the personnel to adopt different tactics and different strategies. So I don't know if we're being a bit too harsh on, on Klopp there. I think it's easy to criticise, isn't it, Klopp? I mean, um, he's an absolute legend and we were so lucky to get him and what he's brought us has been unbelievable. To be honest, when you look back over the two legs, it's a fairly pessimistic view to take, but I don't think we deserve to go through. We had that flourish yesterday where we could have scored two or three in the first half, but if you look across the two legs... We made fundamental mistakes, didn't we? Crucial mistakes. Trent's one seems to spring to mind. Um, in the big games, you can't just afford to give away goals, to give away first legs, because we know, don't we, throughout um, the Liverpool's big games in the past, that those first legs, those key moments in games, that they can determine the tie. As Klopp oh. said in his interview, I think most fans were of this view anyway, that it was going to be an uphill battle yesterday. And we perhaps, it's fair to say, lost it in the first leg. I think we showed all our weaknesses from this season. So in the first leg, it was individual errors and low confidence. And then in the second leg, it was um, struggling against the low block. We didn't take our chances, vulnerable to the counter. It was just like, it was just a summary of the season so far, really. Um uh, did you see the XG as well last night? The XG wasn't actually that that impressive. Paddy loves the XG. Here we go. <laughs> no, but the thing is, is you know, I, I think on one side it was like one oh nine to to 0.79. So, although yeah, we probably deserve to win, perhaps one nil. On, on the basis of last night, we did deserve. I don't think on on the chances to actually go through. We created all the chances it seemed in the first half, didn't it? And then we sat, kind of just fizzled out. We failed to score two two crucial has, periods in the game in the first half. Like Genie and, and Mo, you know, to not take those chances. But equally, I found it very difficult not to criticise them because they've scored massive goals in the Champions League, haven't they? With Mo getting one in the final, um, Genie getting one in the semi-final. So, yeah, and actually, Salah, even though he made, um, he missed that first opportunity, which was a golden chance, I thought on the whole... He played really well last night. He was back to his old old best. He was just a danger constantly. He looked like when he had the ball, he was going to make some, something happen. It'd be just interesting, Paul, won't it? I want to talk to you a little bit later about um, the summer and next season. It just suddenly feels to me as though it's a massive summer in terms of, you know, ins and outs, which are always very topical, but also about structure as well. I mean, you you know, you start the season, you think, you know, we're in great shape. You know, you're slightly worried about the lack of a centre back, but then now you get to the you get to this summer, and you're thinking, well, let's talk about defence, let's talk about midfield, and actually, let's talk about the front three or the front four. So, it's probably going to be um, quite a, quite a big a big summer. But can I can I just before we get to that, I just wanted to ask you about the top four. I mean. You've seen the fixtures that we've got left. Do you, are you feeling confident that we're gonna we're gonna sneak in? Do you know what? I, I think there are two places up for grabs now. I think last weekend's results really opened that up. Obviously, with West Ham beating Leicester, you know, um, but what are they? Are they four points off Leicester and, and yeah, yeah, three yeah. off West Ham? And I think the only thing that might deny them is the fact that there are, there are about six teams in the mix for it. You know, six going into two. 
Um, if it was just a kind of straight shootout, um, and I'd, then I'd fancy them to to get over the line, but it's not in their hands, is it? So they can go and win the next final seven games and pick up the 21 points and, and still miss out. Um, I think that is the, the kind of big thing. And, and losing six six at home, the fact that they're even in with, with a shout of it in the final few weeks of the season is, is remarkable, really, because losing a half dozen games at home is, is incredible. It really is. I mean, and that, that, that was over the course of two or three months. It wasn't even over the course of the, the full nine months. It's going to be tough, but um, I'm a little bit more optimistic than I was only three weeks ago. Um, to have kind of put themselves back in contention with the wins against Wolves, Arsenal, and then Aston Miller on Saturday. So, um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm as optimistic as you can be, knowing that they're not in it, and if they're not in the top four, as we speak, and it's not currently in their hands. But I think since Fabinho's gone back into midfield and, and they've settled on Kabak and Phillips at the back, that has, has really given them a, a, a basis and a platform to, to push on. Yeah. I think I think if you're looking at them last them last fixtures, we've got Leeds away, which is going to be a tricky one. You've got, oh, and obviously you've got the big one against United away as well. Uh, but then you the 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 other the other fixtures are basically teams in the in the bottom half in the 13 and below. You know, Palace, Newcastle, Southampton, uh, Burnley, teams like that. So there's no re- if we beat Leeds away, there's no reason why we can't. Obviously, Man U's going to be a difficult game. There's no reason why we can't win the rest. So we're probably looking at trying to win six out of seven. Old Trafford, okay, yeah. Maybe try and try and get a win there. But realistically, maybe maybe get a point there. And then hopefully that that should be enough, really. But it depends on Chelsea. Depends on Chelsea, doesn't it? A horrid run-in, haven't they, as well? Which I hope that gives us a bit of an advantage. They've got, I think, a lot of the top teams to come, haven't they? Yeah, they've got City, Leicester, they've got West Ham as well, which it's crazy that we're throwing West Ham into the mix, isn't it? <laughs> and Everton as well. It feels like there's so much dread that Everton may well just, just creep ahead of us. How's, how's David Moyes squeezed into the, uh, it's the top four? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, how, how, how's, he, how's he still there? <laughs> At least we can focus on the top four now. I mean, I... I, th- I just feel as though um, probably just trying to come to terms with um, that result of the Champions League that we were never going to win that trophy because we're just not playing well enough. We haven't been playing well enough. And uh, maybe it's better to go out now than it is to have gone out in the semi-finals to someone like Chelsea. Mane looks a shadow of his former self, doesn't he? And Paul, we've tried to um, conduct some analysis some forensic analysis on on the front three this year, and we can't quite come up with the reason as to why Mane's performances have diminished so much. And we used to uh, Mane, you know, swarming around like a bee. We used to Firmino, given you know the flair and the you know, creating chances, but we just can't put our finger on as to why. And it's a golden question, isn't it, as to why those two players have not been at the peak of the powers this. Year. And my view is, I don't know if you agree with this, I think the not having the fans in the stadium and the run of the team as well in terms of confidence, those two aspects seem to me to be the most plausible reasons as to why uh, the form has, has, has suffered. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd probably agree with that, to be honest. It's it's difficult to, to put an exact finger on yeah. why both of them have, have gone off the boil so much. I mean, for me, you know, Probably been a little bit more prolonged, hasn't it, than, than Mane? Yeah. Um, even last season, come up with some massive goals. I mean, he only scored the one at Anfield, but he, he was responsible. But his winning goals were responsible for something like fifteen points or whatever it yeah. was. But this season, 
Um, you can kind of kind of forgive it last season when Liverpool are winning every game and, and he's contributing, but this season when you've been crying out for goals and, and whatever else, I mean, you're looking on your number nine to, to do the business for yeah. you and, and he hasn't. As he's only scored six, Jota, Jota scored twice as many as him and, and he was out for three months and he's not even a, a proper striker. So for me, he, he's been the biggest disappointment. But with Mane, it, it's so strange to see a player who's so um, so electric, so so vibrant. You know, that bears the pace that he's got to take it away from his man, and it just just hasn't been there, has it, for, for a while? And, and I'm struggling to figure out why. And I just think at times he's looked too short, you know, bereft of confidence. And, and yeah. there was a period in the Arsenal game very early on when he cuts inside, and, and for me, you know, drags the defender away, and it's all set up for him to just roll it into the corner, like he would have done last year. And he tries to pass it, and, and Firmino's not expecting yeah. the pass, and, and the, the attack falls away. And it's just those little things. Maybe at times he's second guessing himself with, you know, certain things, and, and he's not playing on instinct like he, he once did. And um, I think it's just a bit of a perfect storm for him for um, a lack of confidence and why he's not anywhere near his best. I'm hoping when the fans return and he gets a pre season behind him that he'll um, start to show. A little bit more of the, the form that we used to see in player. So I think Salah's only um, a couple of goals behind Mane and Firmino combined. Combined, yeah. Uh, that may even be, be Jota as no, well. I think it's more now, yeah. Is, yeah. is it more? Is it? Salah's got 28, so he's... Yeah, yeah I, think, I think it's interesting with Mane, though, because we have a little look about his stats as well. His, his defending stats and his running stats are all pretty similar. He's, he's not changed. That's the same with, with, with Firmino. It's just that it's just that taking that extra decision, isn't it? Yeah. It's kind of that hesitancy or that second too late or over overthinking things that I think is probably probably cost us in the final third, to be honest. Yeah. There's a stat about how many shots we've had this season, uh, this year at home, and it's like 138, I think, shots at Anfield and only three goals. And that just, just sums it up, really. I mean, the thing the thing about it, though, the front three, is that they've always been quite profligate, haven't they? I mean, um, even though Salah sold so many goals in that first season, in the subsequent seasons, uh, he used to miss loads of chances. And that's maybe why Salah, for some reason, in some quarters, has been a bit uh, undervalued by, um, by Liverpool fans, not by us. But with Firmino, I was always thinking that he was going to kick on and maybe get a few more goals. But he's been on a bit of a gradual decline. Mane has been at an unbelievable level. And I thought earlier this season he was at a good level. But now he's gone into a sort of super funk, as I would call it, of confidence. I mean, he looks utterly bereft of confidence. I'm just thinking now, Paul, with, you know, with Firmino being maybe getting edged out by Jota and the possibly talk about Salah's contract. What do you think is going to happen with the, with the front three in, in the summer? Could, could you see maybe um, one of them leaving or is that uh, unthinkable? Uh, no, I, I think they'll all stay. Um, the only thing I can see maybe happening with another staple part of the Liverpool team anymore is 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 Jota basically saying saying to Klopp through his performances that look you've you've got to get me in. And to be yeah. fair, he, he's done that for, for most of the season, hasn't he? I mean I, th- I think when you look back at this season, you look at the injury to Van Dyke and then the injury to Gomez and Matip was in and out. 
and they're probably the three big ones, aren't they? As to why Liverpool haven't been anywhere near as good. But not having Jota for those three months between December and March was was crucial as well, wasn't it? When you think of yeah. games that they lost, Southampton away and Brighton and Burnley home, and, and you know Chelsea, whoever it is, even the, the, the derby. I think just not having Jota for those three months was just a massive, um, uh, you know, someone someone who's who can get you a goal at a time when you're really struggling for it. So. Yeah. Um, I think that is, is just as big a factor as, as the other three that I mentioned, but I don't see it, any of the front three leaving this summer. I think, to be fair, I think Mo Salah's after a new contract, and I think um, his interviews with Marker and, and AS and one, another one in Norway, I think it was, I think they've been very strategically placed between him and his agents to uh, basically rock the boat a little bit to say to Liverpool, I'm still doing the business. Any chance of a new contract? Because he's uh, he's 29, going to be 29 in June, I think. So uh, maybe he's on one last uh, mega payday before he he calls it quits. And uh, to be fair, he deserves it, doesn't he? You know, he's he's yeah. he's kept the standards well. Quite a few others haven't this season. 28 goals, um, more than more than he got last season, would you believe? So um, he's one of the ones who deserves a new deal for me. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it'd be a disaster if he left. The, the problem with Firmino, I mean, Mane, as I said, I think was playing quite well earlier on in the season. Uh, maybe needed to chip in with a few goals during periods, but it's only now or in the last, you know, I don't know how many games, 10 games, that he's really, really started to struggle. Do you think that Klopp's going to be looking at a, a sort of number nine or bringing in just another type of... Jota or Salah player, someone who can cut in, and him and Edwards and the team like a bit of a a bit of a surprise that signing. Don't they seem to pull rabbits out of the hat routinely? Yeah. It's going to be interesting what happens with, with Liverpool in the summer because we we know that they want a defender. They're looking at four or five centre backs in the summer, but I think Divock Origi's Liverpool career might be over this summer. He he scored one goal this season, and that was the seventh in a seventy win at Lincoln. So uh, he's not done <laughs> enough. Yeah. Um, no one's even he hasn't been in the squad <laughs> for the last five games Yeah. so I think if he does finally move on I think Liverpool are going to have to be looking at another attacker uh, to come in um, but Klopp seems to like the, the versatile attackers doesn't he players who can play across that front three and yeah. I think out of everyone they've got you, there's only Firmino who you wouldn't feel too comfortable lining up on, on, on the right or the left wing the rest of them Salah, Mane, Jota even Chikeri and Origi can all do that. So I think that will be a requirement if they're looking to bring it forward. But I've no no idea who who that could be at this point. Um, but I think um, Liverpool have, have been waiting themselves to, to to kind of discover the extenses to, to what they can do in the transfer window because I think the Red Bear Capital Agreement with FSG a couple of weeks back is huge. It gets Liverpool back on steady footing in the market. Doesn't mean they're going to be spending... 250 million on Killian and back or Neymar or anyone sadly but someone was telling me that it just means that they're going to be able to operate at a level that they've been used to so um, that is is good news because let's face it Liverpool were, were really struggling in, in January where they bringing in Ben Davis and taking advantage of his contract situation and, and bringing in Kabak on loan will it be five or six or will it be two or three I'm, I'm not sure at the moment but um, either way it's, it's going to be uh, going to be an interesting window I think. Just to add to that as well the African Cup of Nations is next year isn't it in January so we could be without I know Salah's think I think Salah's been taught to go in so 
you know, another like an injury to Jota next year and the two two of the three forwards go, you know, you you need someone world class if we're gonna be competing on two fronts. I think my concern generally with the summer transfer policy is that we need to have, we, we often say this, but we need to have that plan B, that mm. second option for quality players to come in. So if, for example, we get a game where Saleh, uh, Salah, Mane, Firmino not playing well, got, I know we've got Jota now, but you want you want to bring in a, a you know, top-class player to come yeah. in. City have that at their disposal and the other top teams across Europe do but it just seems that Liverpool of of the last three years have relied upon that first 11 being incredible but when you strip it down you drill down a bit deeper into that squad it's not that impressive and the likes of Shaq Origi and Ox um, they've been good servants I think to the club but I have concerns next year if they're they're going to be the individuals that we rely upon as being the the players to to um, be that plan B for Liverpool. I, I think we we've been talking on Brothers Red about about getting someone else in. I mean, if they could get someone like a another another Jota, I mean, um, what, what, <laughs> pull that one know. on the bank and change. Yeah, that's well, you know, that, but yeah. I mean, <laughs> they were they were interested with um, they were interested in. Um, Ismail Assar, weren't they? According to the the Echo last last year, and uh, they went for Jota. But could if, if someone's available for sort of 30, 40 million, Paul? Do you think that that's that they might look at that? Because I'm slightly concerned that the front three have just be have had their legs absolutely run off the last few seasons. That it's not it's not going to be enough just to rely on them and Jota next season, particularly given. As I said earlier, that they don't—they're not all. I mean, Salah aside, maybe they're not always very clinical in games. I think Liverpool this summer now, basically, um, needs to kind of adopt a bit of a mentality of of two thousand eighteen. I mean, first thing, as I said, this this Red Bear Castle deal um, just puts them back to the level that. They feel that, that they can operate as normal because they've lost 120 million in the pandemic, and and that can't just be ignored or, or overlooked. That that's real money, and that is 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 a real impact. The 530 something million that, that has come into the FSG coffers now, it's not all going to the bill because it's it's part of the FSG portfolio. So Boston Red Sox are going to benefit, and, and you know whoever else. But essentially, Liverpool will see some benefit to that, and if it gets them back to uh, stable ground in the market, then I think they possibly need to adopt a bit of a mindset of 2018 when they were very aggressive and very very forthright in what they did. They, they brought in Fabinho, you know, within hours of losing the Champions League final for 40 million. They broke the mould by bringing in Alison Becker for a world record 65 million at the time, and and six months earlier they paid 75 million for Van Dijk. Now, I'm not suggesting that Liverpool have those kind of funds to throw about this summer but just the kind of mentality of we're going to bring in players who are going to come into the first team right away and and not kind of prop up the squad with players who might not necessarily be good enough to play 40 games a season for you I think yeah. the more you look at bringing in first team players then the current first team players if they drop to the bench then they've still got that quality to come in and, and you know yeah. that's where you build up your squad I think targeting squad players 
deliberately targeting squad players means that you, you don't necessarily get the required quality and that's when you can't come on stock. So for me, that is what Liverpool perhaps need to be looking at this summer with a, a, a more of a quant- quality over quantity, should we say. And is, the, is it contingent on qualifying for the Champions League in terms of getting that quality? I think so, yeah. Um, have never, Klopp certainly has never made any bones about it. Liverpool needs the Champions League money because their owners aren't that, those type of owners. No. Um, and Liverpool needs the security of, of the Champions League money. Just just qualifying for the Champions League alone is, is worth loads, isn't it? And I think that that's a big big issue at the moment, the fact that they don't know if they're going to be in there next season. If, if they are, For the last two seasons, they've known quite early on, haven't they, that they're going to be in there so they can start planning for the, the funds they're going to have available on certain dates from, from UEFA or however it works. Um, but now they're not going to know until the end of May and then it's a little bit of um, forward planning is out the window. So that that is another difficult aspect that Liverpool are having to work with. So basically, Paul, just to summarise what you've said accurately, if we make Champions League, we're getting Haaland. If we if we don't, we're getting McBurney. <laughs> basically, that's... Okay. Uh, <laughs> that's uh, put, put the brackets on Twitter for that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, just talking about um, other parts of the team, I mentioned, uh, we spoke about it a lot again, the midfield. I mean, you look at the start of last season, I'm like, maybe we've got eight midfielders to play those three positions. Really excited about Thiago. And I, I just feel, you know, as a side note, that all Klopp's plans and schemes for this season just went completely out the window in terms of bringing Thiago in, bringing Jota in. Tiago to give us more control, more possession. Jota just to give us a bit of edge. All went out the window. But you're looking at that midfield now. I mean, uh, Ox is 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 marginalised. Keita's a massive conundrum. Millie's a year older. Hendo's a, a year older. Um, and Tiago is a similar age. And I already mentioned that those two because of they might be liable to pick up Knox. You've got Curtis Jones coming through who... Uh, wanted to ask you about who we think is a is a brilliant player. Um, do you think they're going to do anything in the midfield this summer? I mean, or would you like them to see them do something in the midfield to try and to try and sort it out a bit? If Ryan Aldum doesn't sign the contract, then I think they have to. Don't they? they can't just let the player in his quality go and, and just think that he doesn't need replacing because he's played played over forty games this season. So he's clearly Klopp's most trusted midfielder. So if he just drifts off into the sunset and Liverpool think, oh, well, we can get by without him. I think that's a, a massive mistake. Um, I think he wants to stay. Um, I think what the issue is, is the fact that he's, he's he's been on the same contract that he signed in July 2016. So pretty much everyone who's joined after him has signed better terms and, and other players have had improved terms since, and he hasn't. So I think he, he's looking at it thinking, well, I'm playing 40 games this season. I'm clearly important. I should be paid something that is a bit more um what he feels is is the going rate and, and he's probably got a point. Um yeah, so he's definitely. into the final two months of his contract now. So all things are pointing towards an exit. But I hope there is a late twist in the tail. But if he does go then Liverpool have to bring in a replacement for me. Yeah. We we've spoken about this with um with Jeannie. I mean he's probably been on um low level Premier League wages and he's been you know, ripping it up in Europe. You can understand his position. He's probably not been earning anywhere near what his worth is. But I don't know if there's that argument with Genie that sort of sense maybe, oh, he's going, so we'll, we'll we'll look at the positives that he made. We may just have run the legs off him. Um, 
you know, he's played so many games. You're just thinking, well, maybe it's time to bring in, you know, there's been talk maybe about Basuma from Brighton. He's going to be a sought-after player. Maybe it's a time to to maybe bring in a couple of midfielders if Genie goes and maybe could you see someone like Ox going in the summer? He's a very, very likeable guy, isn't he? But it's just not, it's just, it's just turned into Arsenal part two, hasn't it? I do think if Liverpool get a good offer for him, I think he'll certainly listen to it. I was looking at it today. I think he's only started three games this season. I think he's injured till November time. And he just hasn't really got going as he, and, and even, even yesterday he was getting, Best part of 20 minutes and didn't feel, feel like he fancied it until 20 seconds ago when he finally has a bit of a run at the, the defence. Um, it's, it, oh. it's not been a great season for him by any stretch. And, and I do think if there is interest, then Liverpool will will listen and, and look at it seriously, yeah. I think Ox's body language and his attitude's not... I'm not jumping on the, the Ox bandwagon, but I just feel like his attitude is, is not being particularly great when he has come on in games and featured and he doesn't look like he's... He's been in it for one reason or another. So I think, you know, it's definitely questionable for me at the end of this season whether Ox stays or goes. And I think one team that comes to mind is like West Ham. If West Ham were to throw in a bit, yeah. Sam coming in with, you know... Sam Allardyce will want him, won't he? Sam Allardyce, maybe. <laughs> he keeps his job and he keeps him up. It's a good point, though. I think, Paul, you picked up on it, that Ox, even though he's only been given you know, some game time, when he's come on, he does seem a bit deflated and perhaps that's understandable because he's only been given you know, scraps of time but you would think when he did come on he would be go, going full throttle trying to get involved in the game he just seems he just drifts around the pitch you can make the argument that he's come back from you know, serious injury and he needs that game time but my feeling is that Ox's time now has come, come to a close at Liverpool I think he's been you know, he's a good lad I wouldn't say he's been a bad player for Liverpool, but I, I can't see him next year in the back end of this season changing his his game. He just seems like he's deflated at the moment. Perhaps to see, say my, his, my advice, he's got ability. Yeah. I think he just sometimes he needs a rocket up his ass, doesn't he? It just, it's, like, it's like last night, there was that flurry of just 20 seconds where he just looked like he was a well-beater running down the line. And nothing really materialised him. I think before that, nothing, he didn't really create anything, did he? It was just... I think, I think I agree. I think we need... We probably need more marquee, marquee signings and more and more quality. Paul, be, Paul, be interesting to get your view on this. There's a bit of a divide in the club and group, but just the case of Curtis Jones. Um, I think he, since he's come in the team, he's done well. I think he's had a couple of solid performances. But on the whole, and this may be a bit harsh, but I'm not... I don't share the view. <laughs> I told you. <laughs> you know, in a world... Be- <laughs> He's been a world beater this year, or he's he's been you know, a significant player for Liverpool. He's done well, but my approach really is that we need to just to keep an eye on him, and hopefully he does fulfil his potential that he becomes a you know an excellent midfielder. But I, I think at the moment he still um, falls far short of that. Whereas the other Collins are saying that actually this year he's been I think it's not confirmed for me to say this, but he's been. You know, excellent, really good. He's been you know, making a difference in games. I don't really... Well, for his age, though. Yeah, I, I think we've all... For his age and his maturity, you've got to look at as well. Yeah. Look at his progression, his growth in the last 12 months. I think he's one of the best things for us 
to come out of this season for us is just how much he's come on. And the fact that he, he you now when he's in the team, you don't think, oh, Curtis Jones playing. You know that he's going to do minimum a, a good job. And I think over the last 12 months, he's been learning the position, where to play, how to play in a clock team. And in his next level, then we'll be able, how can Curtis Jones show his best attributes? And it's just hard to come into a clock team and do everything and and be a world beater straight away. You've seen Kaite struggled. You've seen lots of players struggle. So I, I think it's been immense what he's done in the last 12 months. And he's one of like the, the best, the brightest points of this season. You know what James will do now? James will have Curtis in the top five midfielders in the world, won't he? On the basis of his performance. We know James is sometimes guilty of a bit of overexcitement. Um, yeah, I get a, I get a bit excited. I mean, I mean, I'm I'm embarrassed to say that I I thought we'd be ten points clear at Christmas in one heavy moment <laughs> in early December, Paul. Well, you weren't far off. When you be Palace, you went you went seven seven clear. When you be Palace, yeah. 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 Right. Oh, cheers for that. <laughs> Back me up. I just. Uh, <laughs> what's your view on Curtis, Paulie? Are you do you think he's uh, potential to be world class? Or, or do you think there's a bit more bit more work to be done, maybe? Uh, I'm I'm more Paddy than I am Andy, even being oh, honest. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think you'd have to, to bear in mind that last season was um, it was almost just kind of a, a, a free hit for him, wasn't it? He he, he got um, obviously the goal against Everton, which put him on everyone's radar, and then he scored against Shrewsbury and scored against Villa a little bit later on in the season. But he was just kind of put in as um, late in games, um, and you know, go and get it ten minutes on the belt, and this is what it's like to play for the Liverpool first team. This season's been a bit different. This season is okay. Now you, now you're a man. Now you're in. You're in in the team from the off, and you've got to put in a performance. And there's probably no, no more difficult position to play in world football than in, in a Jurgen Klopp midfield. He's had to completely change his game from being the flamboyant trickster that he was for the under 23s, um, and he was the captain for them as well, to just being a kind of solid midfielder with the ability to get in the box, get on the score sheets if possible. And uh, and he's one of the few players who are willing to, to try and take on a man in, in the Liverpool squad. They all seem terrified to, to have a bit of a run. And there was a goal, I think it was the first goal against Tottenham, uh, Salah scored it. Um, that comes from Jones. Tottenham with the Mourinho setup with pretty much nine men behind the ball. That, that first goal comes from Jones deciding that the, the passes aren't on because the spaces are closed off. He has a bit of a run and commits one or two men and, and there's chance opens up for Salad and to um, to have that kind of um confidence and and um belief in yourself at such a young age and at such a such a, a big team like Liverpool is um is massive for me. And I think over the next couple of years I think he's gonna be a really good player for Liverpool. Um I was a bit surprised to be honest. I I, I did think he'll have he'd have a career in at the top level, but I was a bit unsure 18 months ago whether it would be for Liverpool. But I think now, if you're asking me who would I rather have in Liverpool starting 11, Jones or Cater at the moment, I'd, pro- I'd probably rather have Jones, believe it or not. Yeah. One of the things we've been talking about again over the last few weeks, and, and I appreciate more more complex um, considerations at play, but certainly for this season, for the rest of the season, is whether Trent should be pushed up into right midfield. Now, I say it's more complex because it would result in a systemic change, wouldn't it? But yeah. also you've got the problem who slides in behind him. You know, do you piss off Millie for, you know, half a dozen games and put him in there or do you put Nico in there? But the thing that we've noticed is that 
whenever Trent goes, I mean, the, the Villa game was a good good example of this, goes a little bit further forward and just starts to get in and around the box. He seems to have um, this ability to cause chaos just because he's got the skill, he's got the technical ability, he's got the speed of thought. And I'm just thinking if Liverpool are struggling to score goals, is it not a good idea to give, to maybe as part of a midfield four, maybe as a diamond, to give... Trent a, a run further forward, particularly because he isn't playing like a, a right back of 18, 19, 19, 20, because he's not got Virgil with him and he's not got Hendo with him. Do, what do you think on that issue about Trent further forward, and maybe for the future? I, I must admit, I see him as a, as a career right back now. I think when Liverpool have got everyone fit and they've got Virgil van Dijk and, and Joe Gomez or, or John Matip, whoever you, your preference is with those two, when they've got those two in the side and, and Liverpool have got a full complement of players, then for me, there's not a better right back in Europe than Trent Alexander Arnold. I think he's been part of the best back four for the last two full Premier League seasons. He's the reigning PFA Young Player of the Year. He got 12 assists, which was a Premier League record for a defender. And then he broke it by getting 13. He's an absolute world beater of a talent. And I'd tear me out the fact that this England debate doesn't really seem to go away. And um, I can see it being. Liverpool's version of the Pogba debate with United every time he plays is always the debate about Pogba and I can see it sadly becoming one now with Trent and, and it's it's a shame because for me just I mean Klopp said to himself just let him get on with his game and, and he, he's he's a top top talent and um, I, I absolutely love him I love that he's he's from from the city I love that he's young and his best years are ahead of him and I love that he's a Liverpool fan so he's probably not going to be edging to leave and he's the best talent out of Liverpool's academy since Stephen Gerrard and that was 20, coming up to 25 years ago I really can't speak highly enough of him as a player or, or as a person to be fair I've, I've had the, the chance to speak to him a few times and he's just, he's just a great lad as well as a, as a top top player so for me he, sh- he should be an England player who, who ends his career with 100 caps. Okay, England have got a lot of very good players in that position, but there's none better than, than Trent Alexander-Arnold for me. And Maybe I'm a little bit biased, but I, I watch him every week and, and he, he's fantastic. And um, I don't... It, it's not broke, so I wouldn't be trying to fix it. And um, Last night as well, I, th- I thought he was, he was one of Liverpool's best performers. Yeah, I mean, we're all massive fans of Trent. We think he's a world-class player. Um, it's just that about whether whether we could use him this season um, in that in that position further up the pitch because I think you know you mentioned Gerard he's got Gerard esque qualities about him it's not just the fact that he's from the city it, it's just uh, the way he strikes the ball um, and the way yeah. he makes things um, happen is just um, he's just an incredible player and I think any right-minded observer whether a Liverpool fan or an England fan are going to actually see that I mean but you've had disordered thinking about England players for years and years and years just finally Paul if I can just just ask you this about next season do you are you feeling confident that it's going to be Virgil back in ready for the start of the new season and then hopefully try and get somewhere near the last two seasons or uh, can you foresee a bit of an end of an era? Because th- what we've done in the last two seasons prior to this has just been just been unbelievable, hasn't it? I mean, we've been yeah. 
with being spoiled. Uh, no, I, I actually can see Liverpool going again. To be honest, I think I think once but, once as, as I say, I think once everyone's fit and you've got you know everyone's back to one hundred percent, I think Liverpool will be once again challenging with with Manchester City for for the Premier League title. I don't, I, I just don't see how how they can't. Um, mm. Because th- this team is the one that won the Premier League title by 18 points. I know I know in football the the kind of way of doing things is to only remember what happened in the last game, what happened in the last 15 <laughs> minutes, and, and attention yeah. fans are short and never, aren't they? But yeah. this is still a, a top quality squad and, and a top side when everyone is in the team and, and functioning to uh, to a high level. So Klopp said um a couple of weeks back he hopes to have all three defenders in for pre-season. So if you get a Proper preseason behind them. There might be a little bit of to and fro and over Van Dyke with the Euros, and it'll be interesting to see what happens with that. But um, if they are all in um, and accounted for for preseason, then I see no reason why Liverpool can't can't challenge Manchester City because, as as you mentioned earlier on, James, they brought in Thiago for, for that um, extra measure of control in midfield, and Jota is kind of the the X factor from the bench. And at no point have they been able to to do that, you know. Thiago hasn't played with the team he was signed for once. The closest they got to it was the Merseyside derby and Alisson wasn't in goal and Van Dijk went off after 15 minutes. So um, I think once Liverpool, as I say, I keep saying, once they go back to normal, then um, they can start to um, to just carry on, you know, as they were before the, the injuries hit. I'm glad you said that because um feeling, you know, a little bit, a little bit worried about it, but um, I think it's just the trauma of uh, of this yeah. season i mean a bumpy season he's called it thanks again paul and um best of luck eh, uh for the rest of the season yeah we'll speak to you soon no worries cheers guys cheers. thank you you've been listening to brothers red an lfc fan podcast your host was james cullen contributors were matthew francis patrick and andrew cullen music and production by helen line the best word I can say when Kevin describes this was boom. <laughs> 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 <laughs>